Yo, it's your boy GoPal. Go check out my new track, Genuine, featured on the Rise of South Asian Hip Hop album by Ruckus Avenue. Bow. So if we don't get along, that's genuine. Cole said he got another track, so I just went grove and I shot that work. G code says if you diss one of mine, then it's peak of the bridge get burnt. And now I got brothers in the DM trying to tell me that they wanna give me money for a verse. And the girls wanna slide in too, yeah, I like them hoes, but the gang come first. Hey, girls on a roll with the crew. You're listening to Life Force on Ruckus Avenue Radio, Global South Asian Radio, exclusively in partnership with Dash Radio. Today, as always, we tap into the forces that awaken our lives. I'm your host, Shilpa Agarwal, and I'm thrilled to introduce my co-host today, comedian Rajiv Satyal, who is based in Los Angeles, but has performed stand-up on all seven continents and hosts his own show, what do you bring to the table? First of all, Rajiv, I want to hear about Antarctica sometime. And second, I loved your interview with Deepak Chopra. And I encourage everyone to check out your show on www.watchrajiv.com. Our guest today is international. Jeff Award nominated actor, combatant, fight choreographer, dancer, writer, and arts administrator, Almanya Narula. Amanya is an Indian actor, writer, and fight choreographer from Bangkok, Thailand. In 2019, she became the first woman of color to be nominated for a Joseph Jefferson Award in fight choreography. She created the publication Chicago Theater Now to advocate for equitable standards in the theater industry. She is currently a student at Stellar Adler. Art of Acting Conservatory and will be making her Los Angeles stage debut with her solo show titled Noor Inyayat Khan, The Forgotten Spy, playing at the Hollywood Fringe Festival this June 3rd through June 26th. Welcome Rajiv and Almanya. Thank you. Thank you for having me on this. That was such a, that was such a dope uh, um, <laughs> introduction. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for that. I know we feel really good now. We feel pumped up and ready to do this. <laughs> this, is, this is the way we started out. I'm going to let you take the ball and go rolling. Sure. Well, hey, absolutely. Thank you, Shilpa, for allowing me to co-host with you on your show. As My show is dark at the moment, so I wanted to leap on because Amani and I met a few months ago and have crossed paths a couple of times, and I'm very intrigued by the show that you are doing, Almania. Looking forward to seeing it. And look, I know that Shilpa is going to ask you a lot of questions about the show. I want to ask you a few questions about you as the audience gets to know you as well. And I know our our questions may overlap a little bit too, but that's good. I think that's fine. We're going to cross some very, uh, very cool ground here, I think. So look, let me let me just start by asking you this, Almanya. In one word, what are you? What, what do you describe yourself as? Because there's so many slash weasels out here in Hollywood where it's like, I'm an editor slash, you know, comedian slash improvisers. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We all slash it up. But what do you think you are? If, if it's a noun or an adjective, it's fine. Chaos. Chaos. <laughs> I like that. I like that word. Calculated chaos. If it had to, like if that. it had to be brief, without context, I that is, I think, what I am. Well, that probably helps you, given your fighting background, right? I mean, it, that's what you bring to the table. As a fighter, are you are you fairly like? Is it structured, or do you come in just like arms swinging, or what? What what kind of fighter are you? Are there different types? I assume. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, um, I, I came, I've always been a mover, you know, like I've always just like my mom, my mom started to notice this at an early age that I just like, I, I was very, I was flexible as a kid and I was really like into like climbing or just doing things, um, uh, defying, uh, physics <laughs> at an early age. And she sort of tried to figure out how to channel all of all of that chaos into something that was actually productive and so you know i started dancing really young experimenting with different forms whether it was like you know like hip-hop for kids or ballet or like bollywood or whatever um and it, you know i still had a lot of this energy and so like she sort of got me into martial arts and when I was in India, I was doing karate. When I moved to Thailand, I was doing taekwondo. And then, like, now I'm sort of doing boxing. But I've always sort of had this movement background. And with my own, like, interest, I found that I've gravitated to, like, films, you know, that 
that had heavy fight scenes. I wouldn't necessarily say, say like action, like flicks. It would be more like calculated fight scenes. And even, even if it was like corny, like I feel like one of my favorite like movies is like uh, court jester, which is like from 1950 something. And it's, it's got like a ton of sword fights and none of them make any sense, but like <laughs> it's choreographed so well. Oh wow. And it stirs this sense of like, badassness and coolness and you know i i always was attracted to like those types of things like pirates of the caribbean star wars you know like and so when i enrolled in in college one of the defining factors for me was like um i chose columbia college chicago they had a very strong stage combat background i believe it's still the only institution in america that has like a program for stage combat And a lot of people come out of that program either being, like, really good fighters or stunt people or get into, like, uh, WWE or end up becoming, like, fight choreographers. Um, I found that in that program, I gravitated towards swords the most um, because I was so far removed from it. Because I came from a uh, martial art background, unarmed and things that didn't involve like a weapon for some reason my mind was like not able to understand how to like not hurt my partner i i, I obviously know how to do that now but like originally <laughs> i was like i i don't i don't understand this you know yeah um yeah. and because of my dance background swords and distance and it just being like a dance you know to like yeah. showcase a fight that it's not really a fight you're just like trying to evoke an emotional re- response i grab well, you know that reminds me of kalari patu in the in the south of india that the dancing with that has the martial mm-hmm. arts that has the swords mm-hmm. the curving swords that they mm-hmm. have there so that what you're talking about actually sounds like something in our in our own tradition but i want to yeah. kind of and we back- even have curly toed shoes you know yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the curves on the on the on the uh, dancers so you That's know right. it's a curved culture it's curved culture I want to back up a little bit and just, I want to ask a little bit more about your fighting, but um, I want to back up and go to just touch on Noor. The Noor Inayat Khan of your show is a real historical character. Um, mm-hmm. She is a descendant of the royal line of Tipu Sultan, who became, and she became a British World War II spy. And you've created a solo show based on the aftermath of Noor's attempted escape from the Gestapo. Um and I won't say where that goes to, but um, when you came across Noor's story, what was it that resonated with you in her story? A woman who, well, a woman despite impossible odds, uh, despite no one thinking that she was the person for the job, who essentially said, metaphorically said, fuck you, to like the most terrifying powers that be at that time yeah and to me and especially because that fuck you is the reason why d-day happened and none of us have learned about her in the history books so that goes to show about you know the way we and whitewash our our history um i think to me that was just such a powerful a uh, powerful metaphor because often, you know, I mean, as it is, women in history aren't recognized. They're getting recognized more now, which is cool, you know. And we, you know, time and time again, we keep talk about how women contributed to World War Two. Um, but you know, it. Anytime I've seen, even even in pop culture, right? When we see stories about women, it's either like this this tall, like badass like 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 you know super muscular and like she's holding this huge sword like she's xena who's like jumping through buildings you know which is great i i I love i love Zena, you know but it's always this like or still like overly amped up like you know sort of badass woman trope or we get the like motherly sacrifice Mm -hmm. right Mm-hmm. Um, and the tragic, like, oh, the, the mother India, like, oh, woe is me, like, what a, what a powerful woman that she sacrificed her life and whatnot. And so, while, while Noor is someone who, you know, did 
take the plunge. I think her story is so much more fascinating than that. And she's so much like more important than that. And she had so much more autonomy than what, um, than what we perceived of her, you know, because in the end, every, everything that happened was her choice mm-hmm. at no point, at no point was it like she has no option. I mean, until the, the, the very, very end, but even that like debatably could have been avoided had she made certain decisions, mm-hmm. you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Mm-hmm. And so for me, it was just really inspiring to see someone who, who really set out to, to go on an adventure and she saw it through and, and, and with that came lives that were saved and, and wars that were won. I guess, I guess the the good side, you know? Um, And so to me, that was very, uh, it was what attracted me. Also like someone pointed this out. I've, um, I've subconsciously always been, uh, attracted to like uh, thematically stories like uh, Wizard of Oz or Alice in Wonderland, and I think it's like the the youth, the blue, the blue that they wear, and the the youth that they represent going into like the dark abyss and like fighting these larger than life like characters, you know. And to me, Noor is almost like my my Alice, like my Dorothy. I mean, like the 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 dress the iconic dress that she's caught in she's she's wearing blue her favorite color is blue she's a short tiny like woman you know fighting fighting these monstrous uh figures and entities so i think systematically that was also what journey to her since we're talking about nor as a fighter i have a question that i want to ask about that um so I'm really interested in the shift from her being a Sufi singer to a fighter, because on the surface, these feel like two different realms. But then I was thinking of Gandhi and um, how it was his connection to spirituality that gave him the strength, the insight and the courage to fight and to fight in alignment with Dharmic principles of, you know, Ahimsa or Satyagraha or um Swaraj, self-rule, um, to name a few. Can you tell us about this combination of spirituality and fighting for Noor? Yeah, so you know, it, it is. Uh, it does have a little bit of a juxtaposition because uh, you know she she has she's claimed multiple times she's a pacifist, you know, and that was like one of the <clears throat> biggest sort of uh, mind shifts that she had, like uh, when when war broke out, and she's like. I'm a pacifist. Like I, you know, she was a huge supporter of Gandhi when uh, she had blatantly told the superiors that like, I'm fighting, I'm fighting for you guys. But like, once the war is done, I'm on India's independence side, you know? Um, so she was a pacifist. And so she obviously like, she didn't, she didn't want to be in like, you know, the, the front lines, quote unquote, but she had to do something. And, um, her having to start, do something meant being in the most dangerous position, which is literally being a radio operator because that didn't involve necessarily like fighting anyone. But, you know, when we think of fighter, again, we, we think of like the cliche, like I've got a weapon and I'm running after you and I'm, I'm literally like fighting you, right? We don't think about the internal like fight and the willpower, right? And I think for her, it was more internal and her seeing just injustices happen all around her. And then the balance that, you know, that she's learned about, like, you know, from her father, from Anaya Khan, just being distorted by all of the injustices and her feeling like if it's not her, then who, you know, it's not me, then who is the saying? And I think that was really like her call to action of like, I can't just sit around. I can't, it goes against every single thing that I learned, you know? Um, there's a, there's actually a really beautiful story that I referenced in my show pulled from the 20 Jakarta tales that Jataka tales that, um, it's a, it's an adaptation of, um, of these fables, these Buddhist fables that she wrote. They were these children, uh, stories that she adapted. And one of them is called the monkey bridge. And it's about 
it's about these like monkeys who live in the Himalaya mountains and they have this like monkey king. And then one day this like emperor like finds these, um, uh, they find, find a fruit from like the tree and like he comes in and raids like the, the monkey hill and this huge fight and like the monkey king like sacrifices themselves and forms a bridge and there's this whole convoluted thing. Um, but it sort of uh, paralleled her journey of like being the one to be the bridge between like good and evil and allowing um, allowing good to triumph even if it means that it's her life that gets sacrificed. So I think for her, being a fighter is much more internal and it's much more about restoring the balance in the world than going out and literally being on the on the on the front lines with a weapon fighting someone. Beautiful. So when we portray characters, right, as actors, it's always interesting that we got to tap into our own experience a lot of the time. You know, there's the imagination a- approach to acting, but then there's also the tap into your own experience approach. And most actors use at least some of the latter. Do you feel like you've seen some shit? I know we talked about this when we first met. We sat down at the diner, but like, I think I've lived a pretty sheltered life, to be completely honest with you. Like, I think, <laughs> gosh, when I, you know, like, I have a really bad cough right now. And this is like the t- top five tragedy for me in, in, my, in my 40 <laughs> plus years on, on the planet. Like, I don't know. I've had it pretty easy. Uh, so whenever I have to play a role where I have to display, you know, this deep struggle, it's a bit of a challenge for me, which is probably why I stick to comedy, because comedy is about characters in, in trouble and drama is about characters in danger. That's really one of the big dichotomies between the two. What from your own life have you been able to draw on? You can get as personal or not as you want, but do you feel like you've seen some shit? You've been through some shit and you're able to bring that to the table. And is that what you draw into? I think everyone has seen a certain degree of shit, (laughs) regardless of whether they accept it or not. Um, I mean, we live in 2022 past the pandemic, you know, says it up. But um, yeah, I mean, uh, it goes back to again what attracted me to her, you know, and, uh, and something that I find a lot of the documentaries fail to address, which is also what I noticed because I, I come from an Indian family, you know, um, was like after her dad died, like, you know, they were a pretty progressive family for the time, um, is the 40s. Um, but after her dad died, I mean, you know, it was she's sort of stuck in this household with her uncles trying to you know dictate her move and trying to like influence her in in certain ways and for her you know she had a jewish boyfriend so that was also an inciting factor for her to like see a larger perspective but it was also i think at the time like this will just this will give me the freedom to to do what i want i'll die out of my family you know, I'm, I'm making this choice. I'm going to go out and like for the first time in my life, I'm going to feel like I'm, I'm doing this thing with a bunch of other women and we're embarking in this really cool experience, you know? And so for me, that was like, initially what I, I related to, I was like, I completely understand where she was coming from. I completely understand like why that could potentially be even more of an influence on her than, you know, the literal war was going on, even though that, you know, she, she did grow up with, you know, all the restoring balance and whatnot. Um, I think that her, you know, with her, I saw a lot of my mom in her too. Um, you know, when you ask, like, do you bring your personal experience to this? So I've witnessed my mother be, like, skinny, right? She's, like, short. She's, like, maybe taller than me by, like, an inch. But I'm five feet. So, like, she's super short, skinnier than me. You know, very, like, she was the oldest daughter. Like, very... uh uh, cliche in terms of being the oldest daughter, sheltered, like, you know, when she was a kid, she wasn't even allowed to go to the balcony because she's beautiful, you know, and um, not the best marriage in the world and was med- bred to be the silent sort of just the mom or the wife or the oldest daughter. And then years and years and years later, right? this is now she's like 45. I'm like 14. And years later, after 
all of that abuse, all of that struggle, all of that just suppression, uh, we end up at a mall and there's this woman, it's like this, it is mall in Thailand, which is like, you know, sort of a black market mall where like they sell like, like bootleg DVDs or whatever. And this woman sort of like disrespected her. And my mom was like trying to diffuse, trying to diffuse, trying to diffuse. And out of nowhere, this like fight broke out. Like this woman leaped on my mom and I witnessed my mother like switch from being like, like a, like a deer to a lioness. And I had never seen that in my life. And I was embarrassed at the time, but then I thought about it and I thought about it. It took me years to process that event. And I was like, I think that's what she's always been. You know, it's not that, it's not that she's changed. That's what she's always been. And she's been made to hide that for 45 years. And I think about Noor when she did go to the field and how she defied expectations of every single officer. I mean, like, you know, she was deemed like a klutz, a, a, an airhead, someone who couldn't climb things. And yet she was climbing buildings. You know, she was lying to like straight face lying to officers. You know, she was like creating espionage, like different characters, you know, and it, it raises a question, right? It's like, no, that is who she's been this whole time. That was always wow. there in her. And I'm going to yeah. just, I'm going to just stop here um, real quick because we need to take a station break. So we'll be right back to Life Force after this message from our station. But I do want to ask if she got the bootleg DVDs. <laughs> <laughs> we got escorted out, so no. <laughs> Can I begin? Hey, it's Raja Kumari. I did it, I did it, I did, I did it all by myself. And you're checking out Life Force on Ruckus Avenue Radio. Welcome back to Life Force. Comedian Rajiv Satyal and I are your co-hosts today, here with actor, fight choreographer, and writer Almanya Narula, talking about her solo show, Noor Inayat Khan, The Forgotten Spy, playing at the Hollywood Fringe Festival June 3rd, through June 26th. So I guess what I'm interested in is right what you just saw, right? My transformation to, to get so angry. Uh, when you go on stage, I'm always interested as a performer, as a live performer, what is that like 30 to 60 seconds right before you get on stage, right? Are you stretching? Are you praying? Are you breathing? Are you channeling? Are you thinking of your first line? Are you thinking of the end? Are you thinking of the audience? Are you inhabiting the character? There's so many different approaches and we're all doing all of those things. But mm-hmm. what is what are you like? Like those just few seconds right before you take the stage during this run here at the Fringe Festival? Um, I feel like I've done all of the above. But I think the, the thing that works best for me, ironically, uh, when I when I did this, when I was workshopping this piece the first time um, at my school, ironically, even though it's like such a, it's a dark piece, I think what helped me was being in the completely different mindset than what was about to happen the second I walked on stage. Like, I remember I was like, I was like covered in blood backstage and I, I think like my other friend had just performed and she came out and I was just like I was just like all up at her like sort of goofily dancing and I think me just like upping my energy you know and being for me it helps to know that I'm I'm, I'm an actor on it you know mm. um and I think there's this line right there's a my my teacher used to say this about when I used to do stage combat, where you're like at the precipice of losing control, but you're never really lost control. You're always there and you're always conscious. And mm-hmm. so I never when I when I warm up, it's usually just like you know warming up my voice, all of that. I'm not really going over lines in my head. I'm just like getting getting my body just like up, you know, so it's not like not it's not sleepy, but. I think if I'm in the mindset of of the tragedy that is about to happen, I've already I've already lost I've already lost the show because you no know, one wants to see a show about someone who's already lost, right? Want to see a show about a person who is trying to 
who's trying to win in the situation or who's trying to fight out of the situation. And I think for me as a person to fight out of a situation, I always need to be at an energy high. Mm. Um, and that sort of ends up translating to my focus when I'm on stage and to really connect with the words that I'm coming, that is, that is coming out of my mouth. And that allows me to get into that. Like I'm almost about to lose control and I'm almost about to be in this, like this, like what's happening to Noor is actually happening to me, you know, sort of the, the balance. I'm fully aware that it isn't, you know? So yeah, I like yeah. to, I just like to, I like to be goofy. Yeah. I love that. I love that <laughs> opposite energy kind of thing and approach. And I hadn't heard that uh, before. So that, that that's super helpful uh, from an acting craft standpoint. Thank you. Oh, no, I, was saying, I mean, you know, everyone has like different things that, you know, work yeah. with them. There's like no right way. There's no formula. It's like whatever, yeah. as long as you're not dangerous and are not like coming in other people's way and messing other people's business, you're like, do whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah, absolutely. I want to actually uh, tag off that question and go into one specific kind of um, emotion, which is betrayal. And I'm going to set this up with a, with a little bit of background. So we all know that from the mid 1700s on, the British and French were basically fighting a colonial battle in India. Basically, it was their game of monopoly. So Tipu Sultan, um, Noor's ancestor, allied himself with the French, while the royal Mysore family, uh, the Wadiars, uh, allied themselves with the British. And in a critical battle that Tipu was in, uh, the French, meaning Napoleon, uh, betrayed him. So I think it was very interesting to me because these, these struggles and these moments, these critical moments in our lives are we echo the struggles and critical moments of our ancestors' lives. And so I feel like when I saw that Noor is also betrayed, this concept of betrayal really became very strong to me. And I just want to know for you what that moment is when you're inhabiting it and um, what you're bringing to that moment of betrayal. I think that moment is actually particularly sad. And actually that, that moment also gets me in a way because that betrayal happens at a very specific moment where she almost left. She almost left France. She was this close. Like it was like that day that the flight was set up. She was going to go back to one and she was, I believe it was that it might've been like a day before something like that, but it was, it was like very close. And the reason for her betrayal was like the stupidest thing in the world. And we see that reason till today is because another woman was, had this idea that her, I think her, I think her love, love interest was having a thing with Noor. Was not true. It was wartime. I don't know where they would have found diversity of that. Um, but that was she got an idea in her head. She was like jealous of Noor for whatever reason. I mean, you know that there's a, been a lot of accounts about Noor being like this beautiful thing, and like wherever she goes, like people people like can't stop staring at her, um, and. I think for me that that really hits home, not necessarily from, you know, not necessarily like that's happened to me specifically, but it's like when you, when you're so close to your goal, right. And when you're almost there and to be betrayed for something so inconsequential that literally your life gets turned over. It's just like, to me, it's crazy. And it's like, it makes me think about, you know, just what, the pressures, the unwarranted pressures that society puts on women to the extent that like, that is what she did. Yeah. You know, it's not even like she cited, it's not even like she cited with the Nazis. Like they paid her out pennies really like not even that much, but it was, it was really because she was jealous. And 
you know, the need in our society for, for there can only be one woman, you know, and you see that in the entertainment industry, you see that, you know, with women being pit against women, you see that with Indian women, but then it's all over the place, you know, um, see that in marriages between sisters-in-laws, like, you know, it's, it's a very toxic thing. Yeah. And so that is even worse than people to me, like, like men who are like double agents, yeah. you know, because that was such an inconsequential reason to do yeah. something like that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, just on the theme of betrayal, it's like when you, when you trust someone, right, it's like you put yourself in such a vulnerable position. I like forget the war. I, like, you know, just like even, even just like a, it's just a, a friend, right? You tell them your secret, you tell them something, you're, you are endowing them with this, like, I don't know, it's all, to me it's like almost like a spiritual relationship now that you share once you trust someone, you know? And when that's broken, it's like almost like you've taken a part of your soul with that, you know? Yeah. Like, it's so... Betrayal is one of those things I think for me is like, I don't... I think I... I, I yeah, I don't think I could ever really heal from that like i could probably like move on Mm -hmm. but i don't i think once that betrayal once that tie is broken it's 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 broken yeah yeah wow yeah that's powerful i uh i i guess what would you like people to take out of this when they're leaving right so oftentimes when i've written you know my solo shows i think okay this is the sort of desired experience that I want people to have. I, I start to think of like the review, not from the standpoint of fame and fortune, but more just like, what's the emotion? What, what am I hoping that they, that they leave with? Is it, is it what you're feeling? Is it like, is it education? Is it information? Is it entertainment? It's, I'm sure it's a, a piece of all of those, but what, what are the, what are you hoping people say and do after they're educated on this, on this topic, which is, you know, something a lot of people don't know much about. Well, for one, I would want them to go home straight away and research the shit out of Noor and Icon. Um, but I think, I think hope. Yeah, I think I would want people to leave with a sense of, you know, a, a sense of like, that there that there's that there's heroes amongst us that things aren't a lost cause because no matter what happens there there are going to be and it takes it does take a sense of if not me then who and you can find that you can find that within and it doesn't take like you you know you don't have to put your life on the line or anything like that but it does take a certain amount of awareness of of to to say like enough is enough you know i mean you think about what happened what two days ago in texas right like you know what how much is enough so i i think if anything i would like people to feel empowered to find it within themselves to get up and actually do something about the things that we complain about because if a five foot one woman who was super skinny and had no idea how to fight was able to evade the Nazis for four months, saving millions of, not millions, countless of lives. I don't know. You can, you can, you can wake up and you can start making some calls, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I think I would like people to feel empowered too. That's yeah. Beautiful. That's, that's inspiring. That's beautiful. That's, that's inspiring when you, and that, 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 yeah, that does play into like the opposite, you know, betrayal leading to hope, you know, right. Mm-hmm. The, the dichotomy of, of going from something so negative to positive that, that, that touched me honestly. Cause yeah, I think we're all feeling uh, down over what happened and uh, you know, it's a terrible tragedy. And I honestly am feeling pretty hopeless. I, I, I'm pretty defeated and I have been for, for several years now, but um, you talk about something breaking inside you. I mean, I feel like that goes all the way back to Columbine for me. I think back in 99, when that story broke, uh, no pun intended, not trying to be funny, but honestly, like I, 
something in me broke that day where I was like, wow, I don't think I'm ever going to be quite the same. And it's just gotten worse and worse and worse. Uh, but you also make a good point, which is you never give up. You never give up. You, right. you want to be on the side of, of history where, you know, when the story is written, I was on the side that was still pushing forward. And we had an acting teacher who talked about, she's Jewish, actually half Jewish, half black. And one of the most uh, knowledgeable, inspirational people I'd ever met. And she talked about how she found it inspiring. This is really terrible, but I, I was amazed that she drew inspiration from this. But to your point, Almania, about Noor, she said that, you know, in the Holocaust, at, when, when Jewish people were there, they, were, they, were, they found handprints on the ceiling. They were still trying to escape, no matter how bad it got. They were still trying, hoping against hope to push out of those rooms, even though there was no opening, there was no door, there was no window. And we were crushed listening to this. We we're just like, oh, my gosh, that's so terrible. She goes, no, but as a Jewish person, I take hope out of that, that their spirit never died. Like, even as they were physically extinguished, you know, in the most brutal way possible to your story here, they still were fighting. And they didn't just give up, no matter how dire it got. And if they were doing it, if Noor was doing it, if these kids were doing it, you know, the girl who was calling 911 as she was shot, these are all horrible things. But if we can take some inspiration out of it and go, wow, in that situation, they were still trying and pushing, who am I to roll over and give up, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the, the spirit. And when you think about anti-colonial resistance for the last 500 years and um, keeping something alive, and yeah. keeping the culture alive, fighting for something that's bigger than yourself. I think these are really important principles. And when you say when history gets written, hopefully when history gets written by the people, by all the people that need to be writing history, not just dominant narratives, these stories will become more prominent, which is what Almanya is doing, a story that has not been prominent because it's not about a white man, but about an Indian woman and, and saying this need, this story needs to be heard. So I'm going to Ironically, that was Winston Churchill, Sorry. right? Who said that, uh, you know, history will be kind to me for I intend to write it. And I took a lot of inspiration from that. I told her, this is a white man who hated Indians, whatever. Like, yeah, he did write history, but he took it upon himself to write it. And we still quote him today. But luckily, we're, we're getting stories like Noor's and, and people like that who... And we're know, also rewriting are telling stories. Churchill as well. We're rewriting him yeah. and his racism and yeah, all of that's coming of to light. And this is why it's really important for us to tell these stories. So I'm going to just take a quick break right here. You guys will be right back to Life Force after a message from the station. Hey, this is Taryn David, and you're listening to Life Force on Ruckus Avenue Radio. Welcome back to Life Force. Comedian Rajiv Satyal and I are your co-hosts today, here with actor, fight choreographer, and writer Amanya Narula, talking about her solo show, Noor Inayat Khan, The Forgotten Spy, playing at the Hollywood Fringe Festival this June 3rd through June 26th. All right, we're in our last segment now. Rajiv, over to you for your next question. Sure. You know, one of the things you talk about, Almania, is essential voices, right? Noor is an essential voice. You are one because you are presenting her story and channeling it to us. Uh, you know, who are some of the essential voices for you in society, whether people that you read or that you listen to or that you watch? We were just talking about the dominant, you know, cis white man uh, narrative. Uh, and, and, you know, and, and, and I'm as guilty as anyone else. I read and watch a lot of white men. And, and, and that doesn't that's not to say that white men have nothing good to say. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't I don't want to leave people with that message either. Either. But, you know, in trying to diversify my own pool of, of how I'm getting information, I've, I've started reading and listening to, you know, Amanda Gorman is a great poet who people are talking about now, obviously, and has been inspirational to so many people. But who are some of the folks, uh, maybe diversified voices uh, that you would consider essential, whether they're authors or, or singers or anyone else? I think about what I've been consuming lately. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it could be something you've listened the... to or, or influenced you for the show. Obviously, Noor's. No, I mean, I feel like I've just been like in in her brain. <laughs> right, right, right. It's like nothing else is like coming to my. That's right fine now. too. That that's uh, totally fine. Yeah. Um, you know, in terms of music, I you know I've been listening to a lot of Kendrick. He he came out with his new album. I think his new album. Um, I think his uh, new album's great. Um, I think you know, View Boss is. It's really been uh, on the forefront right now of coming out with things. Um, I realize I just 
spoke to two two cis men right there. So <laughs> um, well, we're still still making it funky enough, you know. I mean, come on. <laughs> um, man, this is hard because just, you've just caught me at a time that I am like so. Well, you're in so, it. You're in it. You're, yeah. you're in. Yeah, your, I mean, I think sometimes right when now, you're right? in it, it's hard to kind of you're you're focused on that, and that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. I think working with nor and her story is is enough that's enough yeah so i want to ask you another question which is um your quote you had said quote fighting for the right thing does the darndest thing to people end quote and i want to know what it has done to you i think it goes back to saying you know that's the question of whether or not it uh, whether it does do the darndest thing or whether or not it brings out who you who you truly are inside you know um i think you know uh, women indian women have been suppressed to reach their potential for a very long time and i think some some people get out and some people say you know what i need to go and find my own journey and i and i know what i believe and i need to i need to keep my distance from the things that uh, try to try to suppress that that fire that's uh, burning inside. Um, you know, I feel like for me, identifying, and I think it's a it's a lifelong struggle and a lifelong journey for me. But like trying to identify um, who I am and what I am and what I can offer, you know, has really made me grow as a person you know and it's in that that same like coming to coming to what is it the hero's journey thing like coming to your your destiny that that Noor had to you know like starting out as a way to like get out for the family and then realizing that she's in the middle of a thing and her purpose is much larger than herself right i'm not trying to say that like i'm i'm prophetic or like my, my purpose is much larger than me in this world you know but i think in in my journey of trying to find myself and my individuality, I have also found a community of like people that I that I want to fight for, and that's all the little girls out there. All and I mean that in every sense of the word, who have been told that they're not allowed to do this, that they that they won't ever, you know get past this point that they won't ever satisfy a man that they won't get that job that they can't do you know any 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 of those negative influences if i can in some way shape or form encourage or at least influence the negative impact out of them to me i would be extremely satisfied because I know what I know what mentors I did not have growing up and I know what powerful mentors I did have growing up that really influenced me and I sometimes wish I had that sooner you know and so to me it's just like there's a light inside every single one of us that's just waiting to burst and I just want to go and like like those well what is it those little pop popping like just like bursting those things and letting those light shine so yeah i know that was a little long-winded response but that was beautiful yeah yeah i yeah i have nothing to add to that that that's really well well put what do you yeah. um what do you see uh almanya as your role in the south asian society and south asian community i should say i mean obviously uh we all play our parts. We all do different things. We talked about the importance of, uh, you know, what we bring to the table personally and professionally, but what do you see yourself as, uh, as doing here? I mean, I, I had, uh, Lily Singh answer that by saying that she saw herself as a construction worker, you know, building something for the next generation. Uh, and to you, you know, you, uh, I don't want to put words in your mouth. I mean, clearly storyteller is one that jumps to mind. Uh, fighter is one that jumps to mind, but I'll, I'll let you answer it in your, in your own words, of course. I mean, I feel like those are the things that I do, right? Like, as, as that I like to do. They were my hobbies that, that I somehow stumbled into making my professional path. Um, right. 
but in terms of my role necessarily in the South Asian community to to uh, showcase that there's no there is no one there's no one South Asian journey or story that everyone relates to. I feel that still while it is while we are coming to learn more about the South Asian diaspora, um, that there's still sort of an idea of of what South Asians are, um, or what what the Desi community is, you know, and, and what that means, you know, I mean, like, you know, <laughs> this is a bad joke when I say that we're like an invasive species because wherever we go, we just like multiply like rabbits um, and just find a way, you know, like I feel like they just find a way wherever they go. And so it, there's just so many stories out there and there's so many nuances within those stories. You know, I'm someone who's like a Sikh woman who grew up in Thailand, but then left and then like grew up in Mumbai, you know, it's, and then now I'm here in the States. Like that's just this whole convoluted plot in itself, you know? And so for me, like my role as, as like a South Asian woman is to, you know, just, I would like to showcase that, that, that there's just such a plethora of ways that you can be South Asian and that there's no, like, there's no one unifying thing besides, you know, our all common love for spicy dosas or, <laughs> you know, ladoos. <laughs> that you know there's no there's no one thing right that is south asian you know so yeah i love that yeah and i think that's yeah and i feel like that speaks to this idea of like um dismantling the one story because there's a there's one colonial narrative about india or one colonial narrative about africa you know there's one colonial narrative about the indigenous people and we break that by the multiplicity of our stories that come from every kind of hybridity and complexity and synthesis. And um, I think that's, that's a nuance. And I feel like that's very important in terms of telling our stories now. Yeah. So I'm going to ask, we're, we're almost coming up on time. So I'm going to ask you one last question, which is what gives you life? It gives me life. Damn. Um, knowing that whatever I'm doing, even if it's self-fulfilling, um, has a motive and an end goal that can benefit the community at large. Um, I think that's, I think that is a big driving force for me. Um, I think it is for me, I'd like to um, embark on a lot of different, a different plethora of adventures, but I think all of them have that unifying, uh, unifying thesis of like, how, how can this improve or better the community in a way that's better than yesterday um yeah rajiv what gives you life i love that i love that answer uh my my question uh to you is uh one of my last questions i asked for the last question no rajiv my question to you is what gives oh you're asking me that yes (laughs) what gives me life wow okay i didn't i didn't know i was going to be uh asked the question as the co-host we're being fluid here now with co-hosts directed to me Um, what gives me life laughter? I would say, you know, as a comedian, I think that's the whole point of, uh, life is to laugh. Uh, you know, when I had watched a show called lost on ABC and a lot of us were disappointed with the ending, you know, it was a universal feeling, but, uh, my brother's husband actually in, in Brooklyn is watching it for the first time. And we're like, so what do you think of it? So I have uh, two brothers, one's gay, one's straight. We're all, we're all hanging out and we're asking John, we're like, what do you think of it? And he goes, oh, I love it so far. And we've already set his expectation for like, you know, the ending isn't great. He goes, I know, but it's such a great journey. And I said, you know, that was how I made my peace with the five years or six years I put into that show was life is not meant to be figured out. It's meant to be enjoyed. 
And I think if you spend your whole life trying to figure it out, I think that's fine. I think there are some people who kind of, kind of pretty much get there. But I think that they are also the same people who, you know, there are two types of people in this world. Uh, those, well, well, there are three types. Those who can laugh at themselves or th those who can count and those who can't. Uh, but no, <laughs> there, there, there are two types. Uh, those who, uh, who can laugh at themselves and those who can't. And I'm not friends with the second kind. If you can't laugh at yourself, if you can't just like, you know, just cut up and, and don't take yourself too seriously. Um, I think that is what it's about. I think in the end of the day, the, the people that I'm closest to and the times, the most meaningful times I've had are those times where I've laughed. We had some deep conversation. We covered a lot of ground. But at the end of the day, we still had some laughs. And I think that's that's what gives me life. If, if you had a day of laughter, it's, it's not a day wasted, I think. Wow. Beautiful. Good Thank job. you. Amazing. Wow. Great. Good stuff. It was it was it was. It's hard to like, you know, combine two different styles, but I think we, we did it, right? I think we did it. Yeah. It was fun. Totally. It was flowing. How was it for you, Omania? Like with the two of us, like going back and forth? No, it was great. I love it. I love, I love, you know, I love, I love talking to multiple people. So, um, this was, uh, this was really fun. It was really exciting. It was definitely like, I was like, some of the questions I was like, oh, wow. I haven't thought about that <laughs> in, in a while. Um, yep. But yeah, this was uh, this was super delightful. Beautiful. Good Thank show. you. So find out more about Almanya and her show, Noor Inayat Khan, The Forgotten Spy, at uh, on Instagram uh, at Noor Inayat Khan dot solo show. That's N-O-O-R-I-N-A-Y-A-T-K-H-A-N dot solo show and at Hollywood Fringe. And connect with Rajiv at Funny Indian. And connect with me at Author Shilpa and at Radio Life Force and watch and share the replay of this episode on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Ruckus Avenue Radio. Thank you so much, Almanya and Rajiv. It has been such a joy to speak with both of you today. Had a great Thank time. You Thank you. It was an honor. Thank you. And we end with the song Kwaja Meri Kwaja by A.R. Rahman from the film Joda Akbar. A Sufi song, an invocation of divine guidance. It goes something like this. O oh Lord, O oh Lord, O oh helper of the poor, O oh helper of the faith, O oh my Lord, come and reside in my heart. This is Sanjay Saran. Listen to Ruckus Avenue Radio at dashradio.com and download the Dash Radio app for complete access 24 hours a day, 7 days a week to our station. 